Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church featuring Pastor Glenn Smith. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, Pastor Glenn. Together as a church, and I'm pretty stoked about that, that we get to be on the same page. I want to welcome our live stream audience. Let's give it up for them this morning here at Metro Believers Church. I know... I know we've got a ton of people watching live today, some of our very own members here. Uh, many of them are home kind of uh, taking care of kids that are sick or themselves, um, and uh, many are traveling. Um, it's nice when you text me and say, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it this morning, but I'll be watching live. We got several texts this morning about that, and it uh, just kind of lets us know that we're still connected. So. Thanks for doing that. We love you, and we're so excited that we can be joined together, even though you're perhaps somewhere else today, we're still together. Amen? So it's just a joy to be together. Uh, as I mentioned before, hey, if you don't have one of our outlines, slip up your hands. Our ushers will get you one. As I mentioned before, um, we have a dream. I have a dream as your pastor that everyone here in this building and watching on live stream um, would be able to tell two stories. Everyone say t two stories. Come on, let's say two stories. That you'd be able to tell two stories. The first story is that you'd be able to tell his story. That you would be able to talk about from creation to eternity um, to someone perhaps that doesn't know anything about God and creation and this whole Bible thing. That you would be able to articulate in a very, very, you know, uh, distilled way, if you will, a pithy way, that, that you'd be able to communicate God's story. Um, and also that you would be able to communicate your story from redemption throughout um, eternity in terms of God's redemptive work in your life. And um, it's been very cool. I, I talked to a pastor uh, a couple of years ago who did the story, and he said, when I he said, don't, be, don't get too excited about people wanting to give their story, give their testimony. He said, because we put out, you know, a call for people in our church to sign up to, to share their story, and we didn't have one person sign up. <laughs> and he said, so don't, don't be thrown by that. Um, and so um, we put out, you know, a clipboard and said, if you want to tell your story, sign up. Right now, from today on, we are booked up every Sunday through the end of September. <laughs> Can you believe that? So uh, be patient with us. Uh, most of you probably got a, a, an email saying, this is the date that you'll be sharing. And some of you is like, August <laughs> you know, or September? Come on, you can do better than that. Um, but that's just because we had so much um, or so, so many results in responses to that call. So I just uh, wanted to let you know be patient with us. We'll get you in. Um, and so we're excited about that today. We're going to kick off our testimonies, our sh people sharing their story with uh, one of our beloved members, uh, Mr. John Petrie, or as many call him, Johnny Pete. Okay, come on up here and give, give him a hand as he comes. Mr. Johnny Pete. Okay, is this on? Yes, sir. There you go, buddy. I want to hear it. Thanks, sir. You're going to kick me off at five minutes. Yep, right? I got my time run. So I'm much better at public speaking than I am reading, so bear with me here as I go through this. So I actually accepted Christ at a very young age. Uh, the church for me as a child was my safe place and a refuge. I grew up in a verbally and physically abusive home, and church was a place where I found acceptance and love. The nurturing that I received uh, developed a passionate heart for giving as I grew older, and I began to, uh, but as I grew older, I began to distance myself from God. I got to a point where I thought I could do it all on my own, and a busy life got in the way of church. That worked for a while. Um, I work in the financial services industry, and my career started on the fast track. But then the unexpected happened. What I tried to so desperately control began to unravel. In 2009, Mandy remembers this, we were broke and in debt. I went five out of six months in the middle of the year without a single paycheck. Desperate to meet our end's need, I took a loan to help make, uh, make it through that time. But that wasn't enough. Mandy and I knew that something was missing, but we kept finding excuses to stay away from church. 
Like the prodigal son, I felt unworthy to return to the father. In August of that year, Mandy and I experienced separate life-changing events that brought us to our breaking point. So on the first Sunday in September 2009, we found ourselves sitting in the back row of the church and listened to a sermon about first fruits, being obedient to God's word, and giving joyfully. Now, there's no offering plate coming around today, so don't get too nervous about what I'm about to say. As the offering plate came around, I started, stared at a blank check that I knew there was no money to cover. I looked to Mandy for direction on how much. <laughs> As we sat there trying to come up with a number, a small voice kept repeating, double it. Mind you, I didn't have the money to buy groceries for my family that week. But as the plate got closer, I obeyed God and I wrote that check. The next morning at work, a complete stranger called to see about how uh, my firm could help him with bringing in new assets. He began to ask about pricing and fees, so I quoted him various uh, price amounts up to a certain level. I paused for, and waited for his response, and he replied, what if I double it? That transaction met our monthly income need, and from that first Monday in September 2009 through the end of the year, God began to multiply the blessings so that by year end, we had met our annual compensation needs. Mm. Glory. Now, if you don't know, God's math is a little bit different than our own. If you've never prayed for a 30, 60, or 100-fold return... Uh, I would encourage you to do so because that's exactly what we did. And in January of 2010, I received a promotion that paid me 100 times the first check that I wrote four months before. Wow. In 2010, Mandy and I gave 100% of that increase back to the church. And in January of 2011, we received another promotion that paid me, again, an increase of 100-fold the first check that I wrote. As we walked through these two years, God began to teach us about giving, not only financially, but of our time and other resources. Initially, we gave what we thought was right and did so joyfully and expectantly. Then one morning, I woke to a small voice that said, Malachi 3.10. Up to this point, I had never read this. I had never heard of it. I didn't know who Malachi was. I was not a Bible scholar, but I rushed to my Bible that morning and learned about giving the whole tithe. To my knowledge, there is no other place that God tells us to challenge him, so I figured this was pretty important. Mm. We struggled briefly on the idea of the whole tithe. Uncle Sam gets his cut, we give, save a little. Uh, are we supposed to give on the gross or the net income? And then I was introduced to the book, The Blessed Life by Robert Morris, and based on those teachings began tithing on our gross income and trusting God that there would be enough. Not only did he provide, he continued, continues to this day to show us opportunities to give above the tithe. Our household income has increased annually for the last nine years since I wrote that first check. As I reflect on this journey, I think back to the lessons learned at church during my childhood as God began to shape a joyful and obedient giver. He never gave up on me, and he's given all that he had promised and more. Thank you for allowing me to share, and God bless. Thanks, John. God bless you. Wow. That's, uh, that's encouraging. Vicki and I have lived our life that way for the last 40, what, two years? Um, that everything that comes through these hands, 10%, the first 10% is called the first fruits, go to God. Now, I didn't ask him to talk about money today, okay, and giving, um, but it's so true. If, if you have never really tapped into the joy of giving and honoring the Lord with your first fruits, um, you're missing a huge, huge blessing and laying up treasures in heaven, right? At the same time. So um, thanks, John. Next week, we hear from somebody different in their story. It's going to be awesome to hear all these different stories um, from us as individuals. So I just want to encourage you to make sure that you read the chapter we're speaking on. So you should have read chapter two this week prior to coming to church and like I said before, if you don't have one of the storybooks, uh, they're on sale back there for $5. If you cannot afford the money, please just go back there and say, um, Pastor Glenn said I could have this, okay? 
and they had no questions asked, just grab them, grab as many as you need. Um, also, there is a family assignment um, on, on your NBC notes. If you look on your NBC notes right now, you'll see that there's a family assignment at the bottom of the back page, okay? And uh, it gives you something to read and then something to talk about as a family. And each member of your family, if they've been here in church this week, will know what you're talking about. Also, don't forget to upload a selfie um, to NBC Facebook page. I know some people have been uploading them. Um, do we have? Yeah, we have some people right there uploading uh, different pictures. Look at that. Check that out. I think that's cool. And we want a bunch more. So as soon as you do that, between now and the end of the month, you get entered into a drawing for uh, a gift card for your family to go out to dinner on us. So please do that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have some fun with this whole idea. Um, also want to encourage you to join the study group if you haven't already. There is uh, sheets back there with all the different study groups that are happening, happening around town. And all of them, uh, I think, are doing the story as well. So you can get in a group and do the story at the same time. It'd be awesome. Uh, and last but not least, I want to encourage you to come to church um, each week. Just come to church. Uh, either be here, if at all possible, because things happen here that you can't get on live streaming. Um, and there's a lot of distractions sometimes on live streaming, like kids running around and all that stuff, right? Um, but uh, come to church each week so we can grow together. I want you to understand the Scriptures, and I want you to have a good picture of what all this means. So come to church each uh, Sunday. Don't miss anything. It's going to be a great, great time, because we believe, here's the deal, we believe that if you'll, if you'll engage in these four areas, as I've said it before, I believe that, that you'll go deeper in your faith and understanding of Scripture, and you'll see clearer about the things of God than you've ever seen before. Um, how many of you love this little uh, display of the timeline and all of that up here in the backdrop? How many of you love that? It helps you see that. Let's give Kristen a great big hand for all of her hard work. Uh, we, have, we have other churches asking how we got that because they got on, on, on live stream and checked it out and love it because they're getting ready to do the story and want to know how, we, how they can get the same thing. Well, she created that. Um, just for us. And so I love it that we get to be able to see visually um, what's happening. See, today, right there in the, in the green, we're going to start a whole new movement called the Story of Israel. All of this green is the Story of Israel. Um, last week, we talked about the creation and the fall, the flood, and didn't quite get to Babel, but I asked you to study that this week. But we have question marks there. Why do we have question marks there? Because there is nothing in Scripture that absolutely gives us a date. In Abraham's life, it absolutely calls out a specific date and time of when this occurred. So whether you adhere to uh, a young earth theory, as I talked about last Sunday, or an older earth theory with a gap between Genesis 1-2 and 1-3, we don't know here for absolutes. We have our own opinions, our own thoughts, our own ideas. Um, and, but, but absolutely we know that this Abraham issue took place at 2166 B.C. So you'll have dates for each one of these. Um, and I just think it's cool. We're going to study Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Saul and David and Solomon. We're going to see how the kingdom divided and what that meant. When people talk about that, um, the kingdom divided to the north to the south, you'll know what that means when people refer to that. You'll know how that happened and why. Um, we'll talk about um, north Israel and south Judah, okay? After the fall in the dividing kingdoms, you'll see how to the north it was Israel, it was called Israel, to the south it was called Judah, and then you see them returning from captivity, and then 400 years um, of silence, it's called, B.C. And then we move into the New Testament, we've got Jesus' birth, Jesus in the temple, we've got Jesus' baptism, and then we have his crucifixion and his what? Resurrection, yeah, and um, in the, the new icon called the story of Jesus. Then we move into the church. We have the birth of the church, Peter, Paul, and Mary, uh, the original group, right? And we have the fish icon. You see those on bumper stickers sometimes. And then last, we have eternity. We have the, 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 the new tree, the new heavens, and the new earth, the new garden, if you will, that God wants to restore us to. And so it's pretty cool when you we're able to see it 
before your eyes and see how it all plays out. So, with all that in mind, um, we're going to get started today. So today we're in chapter two of the story, and I want to encourage you to download the app, if you haven't already, called Share the Story. Share the Story. And when you do, this icon will appear, this picture will appear, and it gives you the movements, the five different movements that we've broken this down into, um, so you can kind of follow along and see what that means and read and maybe memorize those sections um, of his story. So um, once you do that, it'll be great. It'll help you tell his story. You know, we've kind of broken this whole thing down into five movements. And last week, we discovered that God's vision in creation was to be with us. Isn't that a cool thought? God's vision was to be with us. That's the whole idea behind creation. And then Adam and Eve chose a different direction for their lives because God, God created them with the ability to choose. And, and uh, then sin, sin entered the human race as a result of their decision. And yet God passionately pursues us still. And I want you to see that in your own heart that oftentimes um, people in the Old Testament, you got Adam and Eve and you got uh, the whole Cain and Abel issue, and then you've got the flood, and you've got, you know, the Tower of Babel, and then you have all these very, you know, important folks in Scripture like Abraham and Joshua and Moses and all these guys all mess up at some point or another. They all messed up. How many of you have messed up since you've been a Christian? Let me see your hands. Yeah, all messed, all messed up, but God still passionately pursues us. Can I get a good Amen. He passionately pursues us, um, and at a great cost, I might add. And in this part of the story, we discover that God creates and God decides to build a brand new nation, and through that new nation, He's going to try and attempt to win us back to Him through building this nation. And, and, and if you understand from the beginning of creation till now that everything God does in the Scripture and in the lower story perspective, it's all to have a relationship with you. Amen? Think about that. The God that I described last week, the God that created all of these galaxies, these billions of galaxies out there that we know of, that God, that same God, wants to have an intimate relationship with you. When you're all alone and you're at home or somebody's betrayed you or hurt you or done something that disappointed you, you can always, always relax and enjoy the fact that God wants a relationship with you. And He's there. Everyone say, He's there. He's right here. He's right with me right now. And anywhere you go, He's there. So to summarize, God wants to be with us. And at the end of chapter 1, He makes a promise that He'll provide a way for us to come back home to Him and do life together with Him. And that's our slogan. We want to do life together. And God wants to do life together with you. So chapter 2, God builds this nation. Um, chapter 2, God builds a nation. And, and I, for one, am really excited about um, exploring or studying God's story this year. I mean, I've read, I've read the Bible through several times, many times, from cover to cover. Um, but every single time I get into it again, God shows me something fresh and something brand new every time I read it. How about you? Amen? And it's just the multidimensionalism of God. It's, it's you know, it's kind of like one of those uh, pictures that you look at. We did this earlier in the year, and and there's nothing there, and all of a sudden you start to see something, start to see something, start to see something, and then all of a sudden you see the picture there that wasn't there before. And that levels of himself and so many levels of, many levels of understanding and experience in him, um, it's just awesome. Every time you read the scripture, God will show you something new, right? A good, star, a good story, like we're calling this the story, a good story has that kind of power, as a matter of fact. 
you know, you've got the setting in the story. You've got the characters in the story. You've got the, oh, I didn't see that coming part of the story. Vicky, Vicky and I often watch shows and, and we'll like, we're like, well, I didn't see that coming, you know. But she gets mad at me because oftentimes I'll say, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. She says, shut up. I don't want to hear what's going to happen. I want to experience it, right? So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good story. Those are concepts. Those are parts of a good story. Uh, one, of the, one of the big stories last fall was Apple introduced their iPhone 8. Remember that? Their iPhone 8. I actually have that right here in my pocket. I got the iPhone 8 because mine was about dead. Um, and the iPhone 10. How many know the iPhone 10 was kind of a flop? Um, nobody wants to pay that kind of money for a cell phone. Um, but, you know, the iPhone 8. Um, and, but have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed? that how when you get a new phone or you update yours, they all have their terms and conditions on them. And how many times have you scrolled down and just hit agree without reading anything? <laughs> Come on, let me see your hands if you've done that. Yeah, I know I have. You just, you don't even care, you know. You, know what? you could have just signed away your firstborn, you know. And, uh, I, you know, it's like, I don't care. Just give me some 2.0, you know. <laughs> I got to have some 2.0. Um, but maybe you've heard of, um, about the first people who actually uh, got in really big trouble for not reading the Apple terms and conditions. That was Adam and Eve, <laughs> the Apple terms and conditions, right? Didn't see that coming, did you? But here's the deal. God, God saw it coming, and he had a plan and a purpose to bring us back, and he does that so often. And last week, I took us through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. If you missed last week, please go online and and listen to it. Um, It'll help you have all those things in perspective. Last week, we talked about creation. We talked about the fall. We talked about the flood. We talked about Cain and Abel. And today, today we're going to talk about, in the story, we're going to talk about the second movement um, that you see up here as we move into a different color second movement called the story of Israel. And all of you should have received a brand new bookmark when you came in today. Um, If you don't have one and you would like one, slip up your hands and our ushers will get you one, okay? This is the new one. Last week you got this one, okay? Uh, The first movement, the story of creation, um, story of the garden, and this week it's the story of Israel. As I said before, by the end of the year you'll have five of these, You'll have one for each movement or one for each section. And so, yeah, keep your hands up and they'll get you one. I don't know about you, but I like to have little things that remind me, okay? And I have these in my book at home, the story, and uh, they just remind me of the progress we're making and the importance of that. So, can we do this? Can we read this out loud together? Um, uh, the story of Israel. Can we do that? Um, we're going we're gonna to read this here together. Let's, can we just do this real quick? Stand, and we'll read this aloud together, okay? God, let's read it with me. God builds a brand new nation called Israel. Through this nation, he will reveal his presence, his power, and plan to get us back. Every story of Israel will point to the first coming of Jesus, the one who will provide the way back to God. Okay? All right, you may be seated. The one that will provide a way back to God. It's moving in the right direction, see? And I don't know about you, but how many of you have ever stalled out in the middle of the road, whether it was because you were out of gas or because the car broke down or something happened? Let me see your hand. Uh, Robin, where are you? I think you've, you've... conked out many times, right? Middle of the road. I don't see her, okay? She's over here. All right. <laughs> you got some stories. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, have you ever stalled out in a, in a car? I've got my fair share of stories where I've stalled out, whether, again, whether it was out of gas, you know, I was thinking it was something mechanical, and then come to find out there was just no gas in it. Now, I don't do that anymore. That was back in my, like, you know, back 30, 40 years ago, all right? Um, I had a 1970 Chevy Vega that was held together by bumper stickers. You know, God loves you bumper stickers. Back in the day, those were big. Jesus saves, all that stuff. And so, you know, it was held together by bumper stickers and prayer. As a matter of fact, we called it the, the Flintstone um, 
machine, right? The Flintstone, what? Flintstone mobile, there you go. And because it had a little hole in the uh, floorboard, you know, and you could actually stick your foot through it to the ground. So it was like, boop, 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 you know. Um, but yeah, I find myself stalling out in that and running out of gas and, you know, the gas thing didn't work and, and all of that. And, and sometimes that happens. Sometimes we stall out in, in, in vehicles and things like that. But no one wants to stall out on the road, no, but, no, but it can be downright debilitating when we stall out in life. And, uh, you know, things, things are sort of going well and all of a sudden you're just stuck. Life happens, a, job, a job's lost, a marriage fails, health is in decline. I was with a, a person not too long ago um, and wasn't a person from our church, um, but we were sitting talking and um, he made that statement. He said, I, I just feel like I'm stuck. I feel, I feel like my marriage is stuck. I feel like um, things are, are stuck in my life. He used that word two or three times in the conversation. And maybe, maybe on the outside, and, and this was true about him, on the outside, everything looked great. But on the inside, um, they were, she, he was stuck. He was stuck. He had been stuck for a while. You want to believe that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, but you find yourself asking the question, how can I know? I mean, you hear this preached, you know, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. God, you hear John talk about how when he made a decision, he and Mandy made a decision to give the whole tithe, you know, that God turned things around. And you want to believe all that, but, but you know, you just, you, you wonder, how can I know? Well, then today's story, I think, is for you. It doesn't run on fuel, per se, but it runs on faith. And that's what we're going to talk about when we find out about Abraham today. In the upper story, we, we start to see God's presence, power, and plan to get us back as he builds the nation of Israel. And every nation has to start with someone, okay? Every nation has to start with someone. And this is where we're first introduced to this guy by the name of Abram. Not Abraham, but Abram, okay? You'll see later how his name changed. But in the story, page 13, if you have that, or in Genesis 12, if you have your regular Bible, um, verses 1 through 4, this is how it all came down. The Lord said to Abraham, go. Everyone say go. Go. Go from your country from your people and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I'll make you into a great nation. And I'll, be, and I'll bless you, and I'll, I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless who blesses you, and whoever curses you, I will curse them. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, underline that if you have your notes, Abraham went, underline go and went. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, Abraham is going to populate a great nation, right? Here's the problem. He's 75 years old, kind of getting up there in years. No offense to anyone that's getting up there in years, okay, honey? All right, so, hmm... <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. I don't know why I even said that. Why, why, why do I do those things to myself, right? <laughs> oh, there's that wrestling match going on on the inside like I talked about last week, right? So, I think I'm getting some feedback from those watching, uh, watching online. <laughs> All right, so... You know, his name will eventually get longer. It'll go from Abram to Abraham, but his, his, his years are getting shorter, right? I mean, this is the guy that's going to be the father of many nations. In fact, um, God does so amazing things. He does, he does it right. He knows how to do it right. In fact, just to put his divine fingerprint on the process from day one, God chose um, to do what he would do, what, he would, what we would consider impossible, Right? I mean, think about this, you know, take an 85, 75-year-old man and make him the father of many nations, and it's just impossible in our normal life. But he, so he, cho he chose an old, childless couple to be the parents of this new nation. They didn't know anything about parenting even, you know. And so, you know, when you and I would have picked a young newlywed couple, right, 
uh, you know, just brimming with health and energy and, uh, you know, ready to have tons and loads of kids, right? God makes a dramatic point by picking Abram, who was 75 years old, and his wife Sarai, who was 65, okay? But the real kicker is not only where they, you know, were pa- they, that they were past their prime parenting years. The real kicker is they couldn't even have children. They, they you know, due to Sarai's infertility, they couldn't have children. So the lineage of Abraham and, or Abram and Sarai um, was at the end when they died. It wasn't going, they, nothing was going to get carried over. And at least from the lower story perspective, it was going to be dead. They didn't have any children, yet they were called you know, Abraham was called to be the father of many nations. But this is where God, everyone say God. This is where God intervenes and, and he, he comes in with a dramatic upper story plot twist. I like that. <laughs> a dramatic upper story plot twist. You got the lower story, the facts, okay, as it were. And uh, you got the fact that Abraham's 75 and she's 65 and and they've never had children. She's, she's not fertile. She has infertility issues. And, and uh, so God comes through with this upper story plot twist. And this is one of the themes that you'll see throughout the Bible as we're going through the story. God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his purpose. I thought I'd get an amen from that. God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his purpose in the, wor- in, the wor- or in the earth. I mean, that's certainly the case with Abram. Not only, not only are he and his wife Sarai getting up in the, there in age, but also Sarai has never given birth. Abram's father, Terah, was an idol maker. I mean, it's not like they came from the right side of the tracks. You know, they, they, weren't, they weren't born with the silver spoon in their mouth, so to speak. You know, they weren't, they weren't, you know, primed for, you know, a great position in God, you know, because of their past. I mean, surely, surely there was, there was someone more qualified, right, to do this. Some younger person, someone younger, no offense to any 75-year-olds, but I would be afraid that they wouldn't even survive the trip that God was calling them to leave and go, right? Much less populate a new nation. But this is exactly what God chose to do. Question, big question is why? Why did he chose to do, choose to do that? What does Abraham, Abraham have that God is going to use to move the upper story forward? What does he have? I mean, is he some super Christian? No, he was a Jew. <laughs> you know, is he some, you know, super, you know, amazing man? Um, because he was born to the right parents? No, we just heard about that. There's, what did he have? What did Abram have that God's going to use to move his upper story along or move it forward, okay? So, let's find out. Check this out in the story, page 14 in Hebrews 11.8. It gives us the answer to that. First, first couple words, by what? Faith, Abraham when called to go, circle that word, circle faith, circle go, when called to go to a place where he would later receive an inheritance, obeyed and went, those two words underline or circle, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. <laughs> wow. Think about that. He didn't know where he was going. He God just said, I want you to go somewhere and do something, right? Uh, I mean, there it is. For the first, first point on your sheet is Abraham had faith and obeyed. A- what did he have? Faith. faith and obedience. This reminds me of November 2000. When God came to me first and then to Vicki um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I was sitting in my office looking out over the neighborhood in my home, my home office, looking out over the neighborhood and the pond that was down there, a neighborhood pond, and I was just praying and, and just meditating on God, God's Word, and God planted a seed in me 
to go to a place similar to, to Abraham. Go to a place. That place was Madison. And in reality, we didn't know where we were going. I mean, we knew where Madison was, don't misunderstand me, but we didn't know anybody here. You know, we didn't know anyone in Madison. And we were glad God never called us to Madison. We told, we told each other that many times. Thank God he never called us to this place, you know, when we would drive through here early on in life. But, you know, think of all the things that has happened in, in, in the lives and relationships in, in this city since 2002, since NBC started. I mean, the relationships that you have here in this church, you wouldn't even have known each other. The Many of you that met your spouse here at church and got married, you wouldn't even be married. You wouldn't have those kids. You would, you know, just think of all of the things. I, I've been reflecting because our anniversary is coming up for the church for 16 years. I've sort of been reflecting on all of the things that God has done at Metro Believers Church since 2002. In, very, in a very similar way, God spoke to Vicki and I, and we had to have two components what were they? Faith and obedience. We had to have those two same components in our lives to accomplish God's purpose. Could God have found someone more qualified? You bet. Many more qualified. Many. But somehow, God chose us to come here and plant this church you know, and all the things that have happened, all as a result of a couple simple act of faith and obedience. That doesn't make Vicki and I special. That just makes us who we are in God. Okay? doesn't make us more important than you. It just shows you what God can do with people who are yielded to, to His will and His call. And when God speaks for you to do something, it may be God might speak to you to, to invest more in your children or you know, to take them out of school and homeschool or to, you know, to treat your wife with respect so that the people in her life can see that and God can use that to draw them to you, to him, I mean. So, so see, we, we just simply obeyed God and believed God. That's all we did. I mean, so I'm asking you a question this morning. Who or what is waiting on the other side of your obedience and faith? See, God, God always uses our lives and our personalities and who we are in Him to impact people's lives. And so who or what is waiting on the other side of your obedience to God? It's just amazing when people, other people obey or when you obey or when, like Vicki and I obeyed and came here and planted this church and there was nothing here save a few people, you know, that came with us. Nobody offering us a position, nobody giving us a building, nobody, you know, nobody was covering our wages for the beginning of the year, you know, and helping us plant like we do with the ark now. Uh, nobody was saying all that. I was just faith and obedience. God said, go. We went. And the rest is history. And once again, I'm not saying any of that to lift us up, but just to simply show you what Abraham did, listen to me, you may do too. The way God used Abraham, he may be wanting to use you as well. So, yeah, uh, don't misunderstand me. Our faith and our obedience doesn't guarantee, you know, the absence of difficulties, but rather the presence of God to do his work and his will. Let me say that again. Faith and obedience does not guarantee the absence of difficulties, but rather the presence of of God to do His work in His well, will. We've had several difficult challenges since we've been here. You know, we, it wasn't just smooth sailing. We didn't have everything just laid out for us. It wasn't perfect. We had issues. We've had conflict. We've had disappointment. We've had dif difficulty. We've had, you know, health issues. All sorts of things. So it didn't, just us being, you know, faithful and obedient to go to do what God called us to do, wasn't the abs didn't guarantee absence of difficulty. And whoever said that planting churches and, you know, doing what God's called us to do is supposed to be convenient anyway, or absent of difficulty or challenges, you read the Bible, you don't see that. 
(laughs) So it doesn't guarantee the absence of difficulties, but rather the presence of God, the presence of God to do his work and his will. Amen? So Abraham and Sarah had their fair share of struggles and loss. They would experience separation from family that had traveled with them. We, Vicki and I did too. We experienced that. Um, But surely the hardest of all was when they experienced, well, nothing. (laughs) For 24 years, God had promised a child. And for 24 years, nothing happened. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And uh, maybe you know how that felt. Maybe you know. Maybe um, you know how that feels. You're still waiting. Maybe perhaps you prayed for something and you've, you've asked the Lord for something and it seems like, it seems like, you know, nothing's happening. It seems like you've been waiting for years. I mean, we get upset when we pray about something and 24 hours later, <laughs> it's not there, right? Here's 24, 24 years later that Abraham and Sarah is having to deal with this. So surely they had to be beat down and had very little faith left in Abraham's tank, right? Well, let's look at the story, okay? Let's look at page 15 of your book or Romans 4. It kind of gives us a clue. It says, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be, without weakening, underline that, without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, okay? So time had elapsed, he was about a hundred now, he'd been waiting, right? And he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. It's an interesting way of explaining it. Um, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith. Wow. And gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had promised to do what he had promised. Which leads us to our next point. Abraham's faith did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise. Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise. So, you know, that theory of him being really low in faith goes out the door. That's 25 years after God made the promise, 25 years before Abraham would hold Isaac in his arms. Yet the Scripture tells us Abraham did not waver in faith or fluctuate in faith. Get this, he was actually strengthened in faith. How can that be? I mean, you're waiting 24 years for this promise to come to pass. Somebody needs to hear this today, that, you know, you you just continue to wait. The Bible says when you've done all to stand, stand some more. Don't give up on God's promises. Did you know that there's some things that God promised me and spoken to my heart words that God has given me that happened 30 years ago. And I'm just now seeing that, that come to fruition. Wow. You know, God works on a different timetable than we do. Did you hear me? So don't give up. Don't, don't waver in your faith. Let, let your faith be strengthened here, see? That's what it says, that his faith was actually strengthened. Who is this guy? <laughs> Think about it. What did Abraham know that allowed him to trust so deeply? Which brings us to number three. Abraham had a strong faith in God. He just knew. He knew that he knew that he knew God was able. If he said it, he could do it. And he knew he had heard from heaven. So many times we hear from heaven and we think it's going to happen next week. Or, 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 you know, next, in the next two days, or somehow in the next few weeks or months, or, you know, certainly not even a year. Come on, you know. And we just take it for granted that God is, listen, Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is. So your faith, your faith starts now. The end result of that promise may take some time. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. 
The word substance in one translation literally says, now faith is the title deed of things hoped for. I mean, when you have the title deed, you have it. Now, you may not see it. It's like going to a closing and having the title deed and it taking you 20 years to go move into the place. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's, in other words, it's there when you prayed and trusted God and he spoke to you. But sometimes it just takes a while for it to manifest itself. And in that time frame, don't give up. That's the huge story we can learn from Abraham. He didn't give up. He, the dude's 100 years old and he's having a boy, you know? Wow. So how could Abraham be sure that God would fulfill, God would fulfill his promise? I mean, do you think he ever questioned God? Do you think he ever said, God, what's up? I mean, God's come to Abraham in a vision 15 years after the initial promise is made, but still 10 years before the promise is fulfilled, and he takes Abram outside and has him look up into the sky, and he says this to him, Abraham, go and look into the sky and see how many stars is in the sky. But he doesn't stop there. He gives him an additional promise. In verse 7, we see that. Genesis 7, 15, 7, I'm sorry. God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur. That's where he started. Of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, sovereign Lord, and, and look at these next four words. How can I know? How can I know that I'll gain the possessions? So God can handle your, how can I know? Did you know that? I mean, he doesn't freak out when you say, God, how is this going to happen? Mary said that. Lord, how can this be when I've not known a man? So God doesn't freak out when you ask him a question. How can this be? How, how can I know? Abraham, full of faith. I mean, he's, he's, he's commended for his faith. Abraham, full of faith, brings this question to the only one who could provide the answer. And here's his answer. Here's God's answer. Genesis 15, 9. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram and all three old, three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these to him and cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the other birds of prey came down on the carcass, but Abraham drove them away. Now, this may not seem like much of an answer to us, but in ancient times, in biblical times, it would have been totally understood what was transpiring and what the answer was. See, a blood covenant was about to be made here. Everyone say blood covenant. See, we understand contracts. We don't understand covenants. Even in marriage, we understand marriage to be a contract. You know, it's between two people, and if you do what you're supposed to, and I do, I do what I'm supposed to, we keep the, co the contract and we stay married. A covenant is not based on, you know, the whole idea of a contract or you keeping your end of the deal perfectly. It's based on commitment. See? Covenant is based on commitment. All right? And so a blood covenant is getting ready to happen here, which would affect us all. So from history and archaeology, both, we know this type of covenant actually happened and was being used as an agreement between two parties or even just one party committing to someone else, okay? They would slaughter the animals and cut them in half so they could walk down the aisle between them and they would share the blood, okay? What were they saying during this blood agreement? What has happened to these animals has happened to me. And if I break this promise, this covenant, the same thing that happened to these animals will happen to me. In other words, being cut in half and bloodshed, okay? Now, that's pretty intense. How many of you know what I'm talking about? A blood covenant. That's, I'm thinking we should try this at the next wedding I do. <laughs> to illustrate the covenant, right, that's transpiring. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Forget the flower petals and the unity candle. I just need a heifer 
a goat, a ram, and a couple of birds. might be difficult to get past the venue, you know, that we're doing the wedding at and the bride and groom, but I think it could bring some clarity to the agreements that we make. But now here's, here's how this typically went down. Both the king or both the, the individual and the other party would walk down through many times. It would be just the one party that would do it. Sometimes it was just the one person that made the covenant. So Abraham falls into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness comes over him. So he's there, cuts the birds, does the thing, or cuts the animals. And I want you to pay close attention to this next verse in 17 and 18, Genesis 15. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen and a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from Wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. God is saying, if I don't keep this covenant, listen to me, if I don't keep this covenant, if I don't build this nation, may it be to me May this curse fall upon me. That's what he's saying. Did you, never, did you ever notice who didn't walk down the aisle? Abraham. Abraham reminds, remains on the sideline and God, God does it alone. Do you see what that means? It literally means that God is saying, listen to this. This is how good our God is. God is saying, if I fail, may this be unto me. Okay. And Abraham, if you fail, may this be done unto me. Isn't that weird? He's saying, I take responsibility for both. May this be done unto me. May my body be broken and my blood be poured out. You see where this is heading? (laughs) Think about it. He would tell him to sacrifice his only son Isaac later on. And Abraham would obey, but later, just like your, your uh, guest packet has on the front of it, but later, what would happen? Who can tell me what that is? A what? Say it loud. A ram was caught in the, what? In the thicket, and God provided a sacrifice. It wasn't, didn't have to be his son. See, the Old Testament folks in the New Testament, the Old Testament is types and shadows that teach us something symbolically of the New Testament concepts and the reality of our deliverance. Interesting. So, yeah, Abraham goes up to the mountain and he gets ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. His only son, underline that. Or put, write that in, Abraham would obey God, but would be rescued um, by this ram in the thicket. So Isaac didn't have to be sacrificed. Now, fast forward some 2,000 years later, in that same location, mind you, God would actually sacrifice his only son. Same location as this happened with Abraham and Isaac on the map, if you look at it. Now, whether it was the exact same spot, we're not sure. Scholars disagree. But in the same area, definitely, okay? In the same area, same area, God would sacrifice his only son. And this time, there would be no one to come and rescue Jesus. He would actually be killed, obviously. God would honor the covenant he made with Abraham and through his son would extend a new covenant. Everyone say new covenant. There's a new covenant that we have in the, in the New Testament from Christ to us. And like Abraham, we receive this new covenant through a thing called faith. Everyone say faith. See, Abraham received that covenant through faith. We receive our new covenant in Christ by faith, by trusting, by believing. Want to be like Abraham? Want to be like Abraham? Then you must do what he did, right? He trusted, he obeyed, and he wasn't afraid to ask God, how can I know? How can I know? God answered, answered him by placing the very 
the very deity on the line. And Abraham found a place he could put all of his hopes and all of his trust. And perhaps the best news of all today is so can we. Did you hear me? So can we. You can too. In every chapter of the story, there are clues as to what God's grand plan is. I mean, notice the parallel language from 2,000 years apart. Notice the parallel language um, that happens in God's grand plan in Genesis 22 and John 3.16. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, it says, take your son, talking to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love and sacrifice him. Compared to John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Listen, Abraham ascends to Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac, and most scholars believe that that hill of Moriah is most likely in Jerusalem, on that same hill 2,080 years after this God's only one and only son would be offered up as a sacrifice on the cross on a hill in the same place that Abraham was. Except on that day, God the Father's Son was hanging on the cross and the knife was coming down and there was no ram in the thicket. Jesus was the only, the final, and the ultimate sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Amen? Let's all stand together as we close today. So how does that apply to me? How does that, what does that got to do with me? It has everything to do with you. Jesus is looking for faith. The Godhead is looking for faith. Matter of fact, in the scriptures it says, well, when I return, will I find faith? Jesus is coming again. Okay, the second coming. See that over there? He's coming back. My job as your pastor is to pre- pre- prepare you for that day. Let's get you ready, get you sober-minded to think about what that might look like to him when he comes. And faith is what God is looking for. Obedience. We live in a generation where oftentimes we look at the Scripture as just another good idea. Just another good idea among many. A lot of stuff out there. And you read something that agrees with you inside and you say, okay, maybe I'll, I'll think about that. But when you read something where, where it just is totally contrary to what you believe, you're like, you know. So you can't do that with God's word. You can't do that with God's plan. God wants you to learn to have faith in what he said and obey him. When it comes to any area of your life, let's just take a couple, for example. How about forgiveness? Come across a verse that says, you know, if you forgive your brother of the sin they committed against you, so will you be forgiven. And we just think, oh yeah, good. But in reality, think about what it says. Notice the importance on forgiveness. Notice, notice the importance on patience or love or respect or the way we treat others, the way we treat our leaders. John talked about the tithe. We come across the verse in Malachi 3.10 that says, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse that there might be meat in my house like an armory of resources available. Bring it together. Pull it together so you can get something big done. And you just read over it and you go, yeah, whatever. See, you can't live like that and experience what God has in store for you. Just can't do it. You have to learn to say, and this is what Vicki and I did from the beginning of our faith journey. God, whatever we read, whatever we know is true, we, to the best of our ability, are going to obey it. 
We're just going to obey it. We're not going to question it. We're not going to try and talk ourselves out of it. We're not going to throw it out the window. We're going to try our best with your help to obey it. Faith and obedience. So the question I have for you today is, does that describe you? Does that describe the way you live your life? I mean, you could take what God called Abraham to do and you can put it in your normal everyday life and say, when God says to go or do this or make this happen or be a part of this or give this, is that you? Do you say yes, God? Or do you make a bunch of excuses? Let's bow our heads for just a moment here. If you want to know more about Life Lessons, check us out online at MetroBelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin 53744.